Hello everyone and welcome to episode 5 of Amber and Amulets. I know it's been quite some time and I meant to release this episode around October, November of last year, 2023, but I missed my own deadline due to some unexpected events in the family. Everything is okay now, hopefully, fingers crossed, but here is this episode. Today we are going to talk about smell or scent and memories and their role in witchcraft and how you can incorporate those in your practice. Most common forms of scents are incense, <laughs> candles, and foods such as something that comes from a bakery or your own home when you're cooking, something that's strong and pungent. In particular, I'm going to be doing a deep dive into Dia de los Muertos and what it means to me in my practice since it's a big part of my annual ancestral veneration. And being a third generation Mexican-American on my mom's side, I'm just going to dive into what it means to me and why I think it's important to carry on those traditions within my family. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Quote, I carried to my lips a spoonful of the tea in which I let soften a bit of madeleine, but at the very instant when the mouthful of tea with cake crumbs touched my palate, I quivered, attentive to the extraordinary thing that was happening inside me. End quote. This passage in literature is so famous it has its own name, the Prostean moment, a sensory experience that triggers a rush of memories often long past or seemingly forgotten. For French author Marcel Proust, who penned the legendary lines in his 1913 novel, A la Recherche du Temps Perdu, In Search of Lost Time, it was the combination of cake and tea that sent his mind reeling. But, according to a biologist and an olfactory branding specialist, it was the nose that was really at work. So, as mentioned earlier, this episode is delving into the fascinating world of scent and memory. Together, we explore the scientific research behind how our brain processes smells and the powerful connection it has with our memories, and how to utilize certain scents that evoke memories in rituals and practices to help establish a stronger connection with ancestors. With anything, there are positive and negative memories associated with scent depending on your personal experience, and ancestral veneration will look different for everybody depending on their relationship with their ancestors and loved ones that they know or don't know. So wherever you are in your ancestral veneration journey, take steps to do so in your own stride. Oftentimes, it is the ancestors who caused us the most pain who need the most help and healing. To me, death is a transformative experience for our spirit, and sometimes starting there is a good point of reference to start um, with a troubling ancestor, or at least for me, I find it easier to start there and keeping that idea that death is a transformative experience in mind when working with a troubling ancestor of mine if I don't have a great relationship with them or if I didn't have a great relationship with them in life. Now, that is just one of the many ways I start working with that troubling ancestor. I'm not going to go too much into depth here, but that's just kind of a good starting off point for me, and I hope it can be for you as well. 
I was taught and learned that it's often the most troubled ancestors who need the most help. But if you are not comfortable working with any ancestor for whatever reason, that's perfectly fine. You don't need to. If you don't feel like you would want to heal that, that's fine. You don't need to either. Work at your own pace. It's yours to completely make your own. If you can, I recommend checking out the following episode. Quote, the Science Witch Podcast, episode 34, Epigenetics and Ancestral Healing. End quote. Warning, there are mentions of suicide, suicide ideation, genocide, cultural erasure, and ancestral trauma. And they also mention Dia de los Muertos in there as well. I think that episode does a good job of kind of scratching the surface of what ancestral veneration could look like and some more science-y explanations behind ancestral veneration and why, and why it's important to heal those ancestral traumas passed down through families and try to, and try to break the pattern. But as with anything, use discernment um, and do your own research on your own time. But I think that's a great episode to reference if you guys need another episode and more <laughs> resources talking about ancestral veneration. Even if you do not know who your ancestors are, but would like to honor them, there are ways to do so as well, um, which we'll be discussing later in this episode. So how does smell work? This excerpt is from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services from 2013, and I thought it did a great job of summarizing what your smell is. So let's jump into it. Quote, your sense of smell, like your sense of taste, is part of your chemosensory system or the chemical senses. Your ability to smell comes from specialized sensory cells called olfactory sensory neurons, which are found in a small patch of tissue high inside the nose. These cells directly connect to the brain. Each olfactory neuron has one odor receptor, microscopic molecules released by substances around us. Whether it's coffee brewing or pine trees in the forest, they stimulate these receptors. Once the neurons detect the molecules, they send messages to your brain, which identifies the smell. There are more smells in the environment than there are receptors, and any given molecule can stimulate or may stimulate a combination of receptors, creating a unique representation in the brain. These representations are registered by the brain as a particular smell. Smells reach the olfactory sensory neurons through two pathways. The first pathway is through your nostrils. The second pathway is through a channel that connects the roof of the throat to the nose. Chewing food releases aromas that access the olfactory sensory neurons through the second channel. If the channel is blocked, such as when your nose is stuffed up by a cold or flu, odors can't reach the sensory cells that are stimulated by smells. As a result, you lose much of your ability to enjoy a food's flavor. In this way, your senses of smell and taste work very closely together. Without the olfactory sensory neurons, familiar flavors such as chocolate or oranges would be hard to distinguish. Without smell, foods tend to taste bland and have little or no flavor. Some people who do go to the doctor because they think they've lost their sense of taste are surprised to learn that they've actually lost their sense of smell instead. Your sense of smell is also influenced by something called a common chemical sense. This sense involves thousands of nerve endings, especially on the moist surfaces of the eyes, nose, mouth, and throat. 
These nerve endings help you sense irritating substances such as the tear-inducing power of an onion or the refreshing coolness of menthol. End quote. We encounter well over hundreds of thousands of individual odors daily. Your morning cup of coffee alone can contain more than 800 different types of odor molecules. To this day, it is unclear how olfactory system works when multiple odors are mixed together. It's very complex and a lot more research needs to be done, but it's very fascinating to me <laughs> and I hope it is to you as well. Odor memory. Memories linked to smells are oftentimes stronger and more vivid than if you were to remember something visually. Your sense of sight, sound, taste, and touch are routed through the thalamus, which is a part of the brain that acts like an operator, directing the sensory input to the place it needs to go. However, smell bypasses this process. You could say it skips the operator. The olfactory bulbs are directly connected to your amygdala and hippocampus, two regions of the brain directly related to processing emotions and memory. As much as smell can trigger positive memories like grandma's cookies or a hike in the forest, they can also trigger negative memories like those with post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. Smells tend to evoke early perceptive memories rather than just concepts, so Odors are better recognized after elaborative processing, such as verbal definition, association with the life episode, etc., than just pure odor perceptual processing. So the importance of semantic processing and odor recognition must be taken into account, which is the recall of words, numbers, concepts, etc. It has been found that memories evoked by odor tend to be from when you were about 10 years old or younger, but then again, this can depend on the person because some experience memories sparked by odor from their teens and early 20s. These memories are called odor, odor, excuse me, odor evoked autobiographical memory or OEAMs since they are generally um, older, more emotional, less thought of um, and induce stronger time traveling characteristics than autobiographical memories or AMs evoked by other modalities. Now that we kind of have a basic understanding of scent and how it gets processed within the brain and why it's so closely linked to memory, I'm going to start diving into the basics of my ancestral veneration since I'm speaking from personal experience first. And I hope that it can inspire you to incorporate some other things within your practice or give you an idea of what ancestral veneration could mean for you. So because it's winter time or now since I'm recording this a little bit later, this is it's midwinter, right? So it's January 2024. The nights are now growing shorter. Um, but as the nights grow longer, <laughs> Speaking from ancestral veneration, if it starts in October or November, especially Dia de los Muertos, um, the air gets colder and our yearning for warmth inside our shelter grows stronger. The veil continues to thin. Again, this is speaking um, to Dia de los Muertos time in November-ish, maybe late October. I mean, the veil is already thin, right? It's a veil. <laughs> you can see through it if you've ever worn a veil. 
Um, but around autumn, it makes it easier for us to notice spirit. Some people have suggested that the use of the term, the thinning of the veil, should be changed to the fog is thinning rather than the veil is thinning because um, the veil is already thin. You can see through them, but fog carries a variety of transparency. Generally, this term refers to the blurred separation of physical and spirit realms around autumn um, when the leaves are falling and the land is experiencing a transitional state from summer to winter. It has most of us thinking about our mortality, most of us maybe, I don't know, and those who have passed on to the spirit world or worlds, depending on what you believe. For me, since I'm mixed indigenous Mexican-American, I practice ancestral veneration around October, November pretty heavily through Dia de los Muertos, which takes place November 1st through November 2nd. I practice ancestral veneration throughout the year in little ways, but for this episode, I will be focusing on what I do around this time of year, um, so October, November-ish specifically, um, and how it ties into the role of scent. I do want to mention that I do not celebrate Samhain in a traditional sense, but I do celebrate Halloween. I set up my ofrenda on Halloween morning through, although some people celebrate as early as October 28th, with each day representing different kinds of death, such as those who passed away in accidents, before being baptized, etc. It depends on how families and individuals prefer to venerate their ancestors. I celebrate for two nights, the night of November 1st for children and the night of November 2nd for adults. For those who do not know what una ofrenda is, ofrenda is Spanish for offering, and it is an altar um, during the annual and traditionally Mexican Dia de los Muertos celebration, usually to venerate ancestors and loved ones. Traditionally, it has three tiers to represent heaven, earth, and the underworld, and photos are placed on them alongside the favorite foods of those past and much more. So for my space, I didn't really have a lot of room for Onofrenda. I ended up thrifting a small movable wooden table that has shelves underneath that I use for my ofrenda. The rest of the year, it's used to hold uh, my witchy and spiritual books and some incense. So each year, I remove everything from that table, wipe it down with pledge or hydrating wood oil as a way of cleansing the table of any stagnant, negative, and unwanted energy to get it ready to welcome my loved ones. And then I clean it again after um, Dia de los Muertos, so after November's. After the table dries for about a day, after I rehydrate it, I then put a white tablecloth over it and begin to decorate. Now, I do not have a three-tiered ofrenda right now. It is something I'm working towards. So I have a large, light blue, wooden, empty picture frame, just the frame, and it has twine strung across one side to the other so I can clip on photos of my loved ones using mini clothespins. Since the frame can't stand on its own, I have to place the table against uh, a wall so the frame can lean against it as it sits on the table. I then add mini papel picado draped across the top of the frame and around the table to add some color, right? And it represents air, a small bowl of salt, a cup of water, Our Lady of Guadalupe Novena candle that I light during the day slash when I can see it. Um, always practice fire safety a fireproof ceramic bowl with ashes at the bottom that I use to place uh, charcoal for copal resin. 
um, or cinnamon incense sticks. I also include Sempa Sushil, which is Mexican marigolds on one side of the wooden frame containing the photos and an electric candle that remains on throughout the night or when I leave the house and need to extinguish the actual flame from the novena candle. Lastly, I include food um, and I place it on the ofrenda that are favorites of my deceased loved ones and ancestors. Over the past few years, I have not done this, but I will start to do it this year. Um, it's, it's putting a white cross beneath or at the base of the ofrenda as well. Because Dia de los Muertos has a big Catholic influence, and I also want to respect the Catholic faith of most of my ancestors. If you didn't notice, all five elements are represented on the ofrenda. Earth is represented by food to nourish the souls and represent crops of the earth slash the aroma of the food um, welcomes the ancestors. It's usually represented also by pan de muerto, um, so sweet bread or sugar skulls. Next is wind which is represented by the papapigado to indicate when the spirits have arrived. Fire is represented by the flame of the candle, electric or non-electric. Um, additional candles can represent those forgotten and the cardinal directions to light the path for the spirits. Water is represented by the cup of water placed on the ofrenda to refresh the spirits after their long journey back to the altar. And spirit is represented by the sempasushil to guide the spirits back to the altar or back to the ofrenda again it's really they're really strong scented marigolds it's the scent <laughs> um salt is there to purify the spirits and season the food that's offered it's also there to ward off negative and unwanted spirits as well the copal slash resin um, or incense is to guide the spirits back again to ward off unwanted energies or spirits so scent is really big here um, for this holiday and because of that, the spirits don't actually physically eat the food that we set out for them, right? They consume the essence of them through scent. The fragrant flowers, the incense, the favorite foods, and all the drinks that help welcome them back home to nourish their spirit. Quote, Olfaction in Mesoamerican cosmology had an ephemeral nature to it that transcended planes of existence and became a way to interact with and perhaps influence the spiritual world. This type of magic of olfaction was also used by the Sierra Popoluca people of the Tehuantepec. The jawbone of the deer killed in a hunt was turned into a ritual object by smoking it with copal. The transubstantial and transcendental qualities of scent of copal were thought to tether the animal's spirit to its remains, thus allowing the community's shaman to recall the deer spirit back from the spectral world to its bones, and by doing so, harness the energy to bless the community's hunters with a successful mission. The great power of aromatic substances as ritual tools is that odor is both earthly and otherworldly. It affects us emotionally and links us to our cultural and familial pasts. Copal, is a tangible material, yet it creates a time and space separate from our day-to-day -day bustle of life. It represents the unseen world, and it is there. You can smell it, but you can't see it or touch it. Just as you can see the departed loved ones, but your love for them is still very part of this world. So what better way to commune with spirits than through olfaction? End quote. 
For more information about Copal, I highly recommend checking out the Death Scent Project by Nuri McBride at thedeathscent.com. I will link it in the show notes and transcripts as well. That is where that quote was from. And I think it's a, it does a great job of summarizing Copal and what it means to Dia de los Muertos based off of what it meant to our ancestors. So why did I share some of my Dia de los Muertos ancestral veneration with you? Well, it's to demonstrate the importance of scent in my practice and how to utilize it in yours. If you do not celebrate Dia de los Muertos and don't already venerate your ancestors but would like to and don't know where to start, start simple. When looking into how to venerate your ancestors, I encourage you to do research on your own ancestry and be mindful of other cultures in order to not appropriate other cultures. <laughs> Every culture has their own unique way of honoring their ancestors. So learning about your roots will help you discover what your ancestors may have celebrated and practiced which in turn will provide an avenue um, for you to start connecting with them and to strengthen the bond between you and your past familiar loved ones, blood or bond. Another way to approach this is to talk to your living relatives. Again, blood or bond, if you have any. Talking to a parent, cousin, aunt, uncle, grandparent, great-grandparent, what have you, can bring up some family lore you did not know about. And the story shared may also answer some questions you didn't know you had. If you do not have or know any relatives by blood or bond, you can still connect with them or you can even just connect with your spirit ancestors. You can connect with them through divination, spirit work, meditation, and other ways, but we will not be talking about how to do that here. Um, but if you are interested, I highly recommend looking into that because it is quite possible that your ancestors can come to you through any one of those avenues, even your dreams. I strongly, strongly believe that ancestors can visit you in your dreams as well. I wanted to include Dia de los Muertos in this episode because I didn't really hear too much about it growing up in the 90s and to the early 2000s um, and I just wanted to bring light to it and shed light to it. It is becoming a little bit more spoken about now at least um, here within Colorado USA but it wasn't something I celebrated growing up. Uh, coming from a Mexican-American household however it was my mom who began to reconnect with our roots and cultural practices and included me in the process which I am extremely grateful for. I don't want this practice to be lost within my family and I plan to celebrate this tradition with my children someday when I have children. I think it's extremely important for them to know their family history, um, the sacrifices and our ancestors made and remind them that our ancestors are not only people, right? They're the plants, they're the rocks around us, they're the land spirits who grew up alongside us. Because if time isn't linear, which is I, which I believe time is not linear, then neither are our ancestors. And I also believe in reincarnation. So that's another episode for another time. And that can get quite complicated. But I believe that, you know, parts of our souls are made up of a bunch of different spirits, right? Like it could be a few percent or a few parts water spirit from the river or like rock spirit or like dear spirit, etc. Um, because that's who we were in the past, right? Our soul is a multitude of beings, right? And it just keeps getting repurposed and transformed. But again, that's a topic for another conversation. It can get quite messy and detailed. So we're not going to focus on that today. 
Another thing that's important to include when celebrating Dia de los Muertos that I plan on also sharing with my children is uh, both the good and bad of the family, right? We're going to have some not some good people <laughs> pass away, um, people who did not. We're going to have people who are alcoholics and other things that I'm not going to name here, but it's important to know that um, we're not like worshiping our ancestors, right? We're just, these are people we love and care about who played a major role in our lives and will in the future and who help guide us and are, is there for us and protecting us. And they were human. Most of them were human. Um, just like us, they made mistakes. It's important to highlight that. Even if someone does ancestral veneration that's outside of Dia de los Muertos, it's still important to recognize the humanity in most of our ancestors. Now, this is just a theory of mine, but if you are familiar with Dia de los Muertos, there is something called the Land of the Living, the Remembered, and Forgotten. The Land of the Living is what we're in now. Remembered are those who are remembered, and the Land of the Forgotten are ancestors who are forgotten. Um, this day, or Dia de los Muertos, is to remember those who have passed on, because in the past, the only way to remember someone was through oral tradition, usually, and maybe some writing stories, tales, and passing on the memory of an individual through remembrance was important. So if someone didn't share those stories, didn't share those tales, that person would become lost to history and within the family forever. Now with modern technology, social media, photography, etc., it is easier to find out who our ancestors were. Um, so pulling a photo of them or excuse me, so putting a photo of them on the ofrenda is quite amazing and it helps put a face to the stories you tell to your family. Now, those people were just that, right? People, so again, to reiterate the mistakes that they made is important to remember they weren't perfect and it's important to remember that side and hold space for them in your heart. If you aren't ready to venerate certain ancestors of yours for whatever reason, it's okay, you don't have, again, I think that death is a transformative experience and that's where I usually start with working <laughs> when working with ancestors who might not hold the same worldview as I do or who had a different worldview because of a different time, etc. Alrighty, so if you don't already venerate your ancestors, this is just a easy way to start. Uh, you can set out a glass of water or find a space, first of all, and cleanse it with like some Florida water or regular water that you blessed and wipe it down. Clean the space, set out a glass of water, use a seven day candle or any candle of your chosen intent. Uh, maybe you have something that's just been sitting in your cabinet for a while you haven't lit. I know I'm pretty guilty of buying a plethora of candles and it me taking forever just to get to them so i have a bunch there <laughs> that i could probably use so anyway um, pick a candle and use a small bowl of salt you can even add incense if you think that your ancestors would like it and pick a scent that you'd like and that also applies to the candle if you use a scented candle pick a scent that they might think or excuse me that you might think they like if you have photos feel free to add them but they are not needed if you do not know who your ancestors are, again, that is okay. Call upon your ancestors of your highest good, both known and unknown, of similar morals. So after you set up your altar space, right, you have everything put together, you have a candle, you have incense, you have photos, if you have photos, 
um, you have salt and a glass of water. The next step is to communicate with them, talk to them through meditation, divination, and even dreams to establish a connection or relationship. I find my ancestors often communicate with me through dreams, smells, sounds, and other random events throughout the day, and even throughout the year. Just like any relationship, you may not have a strong bond right away, and you may not feel them with you as you initially imagined. It takes work and time. With anything, be careful when communicating with the spirit world, worlds. Always protect yourself and have wards or a circle established to keep out unwanted spirits and or entities. I believe that not all ancestors are human, because if you think uh, back far enough, we were cells, right? Weren't we all cells or microorganisms at some point? like way back when, thousands and thousands of years ago. I also consider my animal companions slash pets part of my family, so I venerate them during this time of year as well. So my ancestral veneration will look different from yours because of what I believe, and that's okay. Again, these are just some common tips on how to get started with ancestral veneration. Think about what associations you have with your ancestors. Did one of them love cookies? Is there a scent you associate with them? Is there a family recipe passed down from generation to generation? If you do not know your ancestors, what are your favorite foods that you like to share with them or that you think they like? Thinking about these things help you decide what to put on your ancestor altar if you have or want one. And it also helps keep the thought of them with you throughout the year as you experience life. More than likely, they have been trying to communicate with you or have communicated with you um, even if you haven't worked with them before or you haven't even noticed. If you have access to their grave, if you have access to their grave, go visit them. Clean or wash their headstone, replace the flowers, sit with them, have a picnic, make a meal for them. Just remember to clean up afterwards. Now, graveyard etiquette is another topic um, that we will not go into in this episode, but remember to be respectful since this is where people are laid to rest and where some land spirits reside and also they protect this area and your relationship with that graveyard is important. Remember to protect yourself before going into a graveyard or cemetery and if needed, do cleansing and protection work on yourself afterward. Now I've already kind of touched on the topic about using scent in ancestral veneration. And now to conclude this episode, I'm going to be talking about ways to use scent both for ancestral veneration and in ritual or in spell making throughout the year. First, I'd like to ask, what are scents you have established a relationship with throughout your life? For me, as an example, if I smell a perfume or candle scented like jasmine, rose, and baby powder, I think of my grandmothers, although each had their own slightly different aroma to them. Another example is if I smell diesel mixed with cigarette smoke and crisp air, I think of a time I spent in Europe with my family. Sometimes I catch whiffs of things throughout the day that remind me of people or places, and if it is a random scent, I use my intuition or divination to discern if it is one of my ancestors trying to communicate with me. Anyway, if you are walking somewhere and a pastry shop or food reminds you of someone in your life who has passed or if you have a strong strong feeling that your ancestors would enjoy the item purchase the treat if you have the funds or even try making it at home and place it on the altar for rituals or spells utilize those moments of odor evoked memory say you live in a city and then a smell reminds you of a relaxing moment you spent somewhere 
take note of that scent and try to replicate it or use it in the next spell related to serenity or tranquility or relaxation, whatever it be in the form of incense, candles, or anything else you can think of. This even works for smell aversions. So an example of a smell aversion for me would be this. I very much do not like the smell of chamomile. Um, we are very much frenemies through and through in a sense that we work well together and I can tolerate it if I am using it in a spell or recipe for somebody else, but it does not mix well with me personally. The scent, even taste of chamomile, especially when I'm sick, gives me a headache and I get nauseous. I do not know why. Everyone swears by it. I wish I could swear by it. My grandmother swears by it. It works for her, but not for me, unfortunately. So when a spell calls for the use of chamomile, even if it is for relaxation or calming, um, if I'm doing the spell for me again, I leave it out or replace it with an herb or spice I have a closer relationship with that has similar, if not the same, associations. And this is just through trial and error to find what works best. So... I would utilize that smell version if I were wanting to push something away from me. Now, this might contradict a lot of what chamomile represents, but this is just relating to me and my personal practice. Again, this is an example. This is just an example of a smell version I have and what I might use it for to push something away. As you may know, incense and particular scents of incense are frequently used in spell work and ritual for certain associations, deities, um, offerings, right, veneration practices, and more so, I just encourage you to give your nose a little bit more attention if you haven't been when using incense in your work. And sometimes you might find that your ancestors or spirits of place might not like a certain scent, and that's okay. You can just offer them a different one next time. See what works for you and, and them. <laughs> now, olfaction or smell can be integrated during silent suppers. For those of you who do not know what a silent supper is, a silent supper is a meal that is held at a table and, as the name suggests, are held without speaking. An empty seat is often left for your ancestors slash spirits you welcome to the feast with you. A plate of food is made for them as well and placed at their seat. Often, these silent suppers are done by candlelight, with the rest of the house lights turned off. So to integrate smell into this, when making the meal for your silent supper, the smell of food fills the home. When you are thinking of what to do or what to make for the supper, consider your ancestors' favorite foods if you can. If you do not know your ancestors or have limited access to food or certain foods, that's okay. Serve what you can and within your means. Your intention and reverence for them will still shine. Now, to be honest with you, in my practice, I have not done a silent supper or I can't recall ever doing a silent supper in my past. <laughs> I hope to do it in the future because I love the idea behind it and to hold space for the ancestors. But in my practice right now, especially around the holidays, what I normally do is set out a another seat for the ancestors at the table where my family and I are normally celebrating or sitting and eating the feast. I make the plate of food for my ancestors and put it in front of that empty seat for them. And I have a candle, whether it be electric or a real flame, I place it at the seat as well, and a glass of water and wine if drinks are being had right at the celebration. And that's how I incorporate my ancestors and ancestral spirits with us at the table.
And that concludes this episode. As usual, thank you all so much for listening. I truly, truly appreciate it. I hope you learned something, whether it be about like smell and memory and how it works and also ancestral veneration, whether you honor your ancestors or not through veneration. If you do it year round, what are some ideas you can do to keep them in mind? Or if you do it once a year, what that can look like. Just a little something, right? Some food for thought if it's something you're interested in. If you'd like a transcript of this episode, please visit the Amber and Amulets website at amberandamulets.com. Remember, there's magic in the everyday. See you next time. Thank you.